Uh, but we are in Revelation chapter 10, and if you uh, want to get out your Bible, we do have it on the screen. If you'd like the book in your hands, you can lift your hand up, we'll get a Bible to you as well. Um, but uh, we are in Revelation chapter 10, and pray with me before we get into the Word. Uh, Lord, as we study this interesting parentheses in the book, uh, Lord, no doubt it's complex, it's complicating for us, um, and, and so we would just ask for your uh, guidance, that the Spirit would speak to us. As always, Lord, you would keep the main things, the plain things, Lord, that Jesus would be exalted, that we would see the gospel, uh, that we would see you as the winner, Lord, and, uh, and as sin and Satan as just the the conquered enemy in, in conquering, even in this text. And, and so, Lord, we just would pray for your insight and a work that could only done by the, be done by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we've got this chapter before us with this main idea that despite opposition from God's enemies, he gives his people his authoritative and trustworthy word. And then he commissions us to go preach the gospel to all nations. Chapter 10 and 11 through verse 14 are a parentheses section in the book of Revelation. It's the second parentheses uh, in the book so far. Chapter 7 was a parentheses. So if you want to just kind of help yourself, you might just put the brackets of parentheses there in your text from chapter 10 through 1114. And that'll help you as you're reading it. Because as you're reading the book of Revelation, it's not all chronological, okay? The book of Revelation is a lot like a symphony and it wraps back around and it loops around and it has a sort of a telescoping lens at times. It's, the, it's very similar to the Olivet Discourse in the Gospels. When you read the Olivet Discourse, you know, there's things that you're like, this seems like it should be here. Or this seems like it should be here. But, but to the um, learned reader, you see that there's a reason for that. There's kind of a telescoping jumping method in the way that things are communicated. So we have this interlude beginning in chapter 10 or this parentheses here and uh and it, let's get into it let's get into this parenthetical statement and, and when you're reading a book and you get to parentheses you almost you almost read it differently at that point right uh you're reading you're reading and then you kind of do a little you know you maybe even throw your hand oh and by the way <laughs> you know and and there's sort of this by the way, to it here in the chapter. So, I saw, I saw still another mighty angel, right? Okay. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. So, we see this mighty mega angel who is powerful and is strong and quite intense. And while last week we saw, or it was two weeks ago, uh, while last week we saw these demons coming up out of the pit or the abyss 
Uh, Here we see something heavenly coming down out of the heavens. Coming down from heaven is this angel. He's adorned with a cloud or he's clothed with a cloud. And this speaks all throughout the Old Testament of glory, the glory of the Lord. He would move in front of the tabernacle, move in front of the children of Israel with a cloud. As Psalm 97 says, clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Or Lamentations 3.44, you have covered yourself with a cloud. And, uh, and so there's this glory of the Lord that oftentimes appears as a cloud. And what comes with clouds often is a rainbow. There's a rainbow that's on this angel's head. It, it can also be translated a circle of light. And this is a couple times in Revelation we've seen this circle of light. And uh, perhaps like a halo looking thing. This may be where we kind of get that idea of halos, where there's the glory of the Lord kind of shines like a halo or like a circle of light. But rainbow does speak of a sign of God's covenant faithfulness. It echoes back to the story of Noah and the flood. And Ezekiel tells us that in the glory of the Lord, there's this appearance of a rainbow like that of in a cloud on a rainy day. That's the appearance of the brightness all around the throne room of God and the glory of God. So whatever this angel is, he's coming in the glory of God. <clears throat> and there are some who would say that this is Jesus. Uh, now, Jesus is not an angel or a created being, but he is described in the scriptures as Uh, what the word angel can be translated into, the messenger of God. Um, And so whenever in the Old Testament you'll see the angel of the Lord, it's what's called a Christophany or a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's an incredible thing to see there in the Old Testament. And so some would say, and I'm neither here nor there, I read it and I'm like, here's what I do know, is what I'm reading is this has so many of the same attributes of Jesus from chapter one, and you would probably say that too. But something we see about those who spend time with the Lord and in the presence of the Lord, they begin to shine in glory like him, just like Moses's face shone, right? Uh, when he got a glimpse of the Lord's uh, backside, backside, okay, let's just say what it was. It was the backside of the Lord as he passed by him in the rock. Moses's face shone there coming down from the mountains. So this might be Jesus. He's definitely got authority, or it may just be an angel who's been in the presence of uh, the Lord since he's been created. And so he has these similar attributes and characteristics of the Lord. Uh, Verse two, he had a little book open in his hand. And I just love that. Don't you just, there's this little book, just a little thing, you know, and, uh, just this little, maybe he, maybe it's a regular size book. He's just mighty and big, you know, like, I don't know, big, big book, little book, regular compared to him. The book is teeny. All right. The book looks little and, uh, and he set his right foot in the sea and his left foot on the land. So first of all, this little book is open in his hand. In the Greek, it's the word um, Bibleridian, Bibleridian. So what is this little book in his hand? Well, maybe it's the Bible, the whole of the word of God, or maybe it's the book of Revelation, or maybe it's 
the rest of the book of Revelation. And we're going to see a little bit what could bring some context to this so that we might understand it. But we also see this mighty angel sets his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. He's conquering the world. Um, and as the Psalms say in 95.5, the sea is his for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Uh, Matthew 28, 18, just before the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so by setting his feet on the earth or on the sea, he's claiming them back for the kingdom of God. As Psalm 2 says, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So there's this parentheses in the book of Revelation where earlier on in the book, we saw this scroll that was sealed with seven seals. It was written on the front and on the back, sealed with these seven seals. Um, and, and we looked at that seven uh, seal scroll in Revelation chapter five and, and archaeologists and research has studied that this is a very important document and some have said that it's very similar to something like a legal deed to a piece of property. And so some have said that that scroll from chapter 5 is the title deed to planet Earth. And we saw in chapter 5, well, who gets to open up that title deed? Who gets to unloose those seals of that scroll? And we see that the only one worthy in heaven or earth or under the earth was Jesus, the lion, the lamb, and he is worthy, chapter 5 says, because he was slain. Because essentially, he bought it back with his own blood. And so if, for the sake of conversation, it's the title deed to earth, he's claiming it back for himself because of what he's done, and now he has this scroll, some would say that that's what this scroll is, or this book, this little book, and it's, and he's claiming it back. He's putting his feet on the sea and on the land. So that may help us understand a little bit of what's going on. Um, and I cried with a loud voice, uh, rather this angel cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. Now, many of us know what it sounds like when a lion roars. You know, we've grown up with audio recordings at the very least. Now we've got Discovery Channel or Planet Earth, you know, and we get to hear and see these recordings. A lot of us don't spend a lot of time on the African tundra, you know, just listening for that roar of a lion. And yet John somehow knows what it's like when a lion roars, you know. So he may have witnessed it at some point in one way or another, um, some of these wild lions around the Judean wilderness, um, or maybe just like all of us, he grew up and, you know, mom was like, what does a lion say? And he's like, Rawr, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and so maybe it wasn't that impressive what the angel was doing. He was just kind of, you know, it's like, whoa, okay. One way or another, John knew what a lion's roar was like. All right. And when this roar cried out, Seven thunders uttered their voices. Boom, 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 boom. And we love our central Oregon thunderstorms. And here we have, boom, just seven thunders just echoing off of this like lion-like roar. As Proverbs says, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. But... His favor is like 
the dew on the grass. When the Lord roars, it says in Isaiah 31, the Lord spoken to me as a lion roars and a young lion over his prey. Isaiah 42 says, the Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. And so, you know, whether this is the Lord, this mighty angel, or one of the Lord's warriors, just reflecting the Lord, there is some might and there is some power. As Joel says in chapter three, speaking of the day of the Lord or the end times, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. And so we see a little bit of Joel here in Revelation chapter 10. And, but we also see in the midst of the roar and the shaking and the thunder that Joel says, but the Lord will be like a shelter for his people. Amos says, a lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And that's what's going to happen for John following this lion's roar. These Seven thunders utter after he cries out. And verse four says, and when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. So boom, 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 boom. Oh, whoa, whoa. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders have uttered and do not write them. That's when you flip your pencil upside down and erase whatever you might have had down there for a minute. Oh, yes, I agree. That's probably, that's a good idea, you know. And uh, don't write them down. Now, this is an interesting thing, don't you think? You're in the midst of heaven. You've been writing down what chapter 1 verse 18 says, the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this, write these things down, Jesus says in the divine outline that breaks the revelation apart for us. And here we have him writing in the parentheses, but no, don't write. Don't write these seven thunders down. Now, why exactly? Well, in Daniel, in two different places, Daniel sees something crazy about the end times that the Lord was going to have him write down. And he says, seal it up. Don't make it known. Daniel 8, 26, for it refers to many days in the future. So something that Daniel was given that's prophecy of the future, he was told, seal that up. Don't let everyone know about that part. It's, it's way down the line. And then in Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, again, Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So there's another part of prophecy that was sealed up by Daniel that no one really knows exactly what that was. And then later on in our revelation, chapter 22, verse 10, he says, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. So Daniel's end time prophecy, which within the next couple of weeks, we're going to go back and we're looking, we're going to look at Daniel's prophecies and how they correlate to what we're studying now in Revelation. But Daniel was told a couple thousand years before uh, he was told uh, that you got to seal them up because it's, it's just so far down the road that some of these things are going to happen. And then we're shown in the Revelation, open it up, the whole book of Revelation, because the time 
is coming soon. The time is at hand. All right. But ultimately, what these seven thunders utter, nobody really knows what they uttered. We don't really have an idea, except thunder typically speaks of the judgment of the Lord. And so the mystery and the secret things belong to the Lord. And God's in control, and that is all uh, that the saints need to know here. But we see this awesome vision of this mighty angel. And I, I have a friend, and he used to be on a pastor with me. He was the missionary pastor at Calvary Corvallis. And he would go on all these mission trips, and, and, uh, and he'd see things, or he'd eat at a restaurant or whatever. And a lot of times, if he ate at a restaurant, I'd be like, was it awesome? He'd be like, oh, man, I, I don't use that word. That's a word I reserve for the Lord alone. You know, I'm like, oh. yeah. Yeah, but was it? You know, uh, but he, he reserved that word for the Lord. And, and I think that this would be a time that you would go ahead and crack that word open and go ahead and use it as you're seeing these mighty, this mighty angel and uh, the rainbow and the cloud and the feet of the fine brass on the land and the sea and the open book and the roar and the thunders. There is seriously something awesome happening here. In verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever. And, and this is just a good little Bible note for us that, that the Lord does not forbid promises. The Lord makes promises. But when the Lord is rebuking the Pharisees in the New Testament, when he's rebuking sinners, he's rebuking them because they enter into promises and agreements already trying to work all sorts of little schemey things out as to how they can get out of it. And so it's don't go into the promises with, with some sort of deceitful attitude, all right? It's better to just say yes and yes in those cases. But all throughout the scripture, we have different times where there's swearing or pledges that take place. And in those times, even the Lord swears by himself and Melchizedek will swear by himself. Uh, and, and Hebrews references that to Jesus and says he's, he swears by himself because you can't swear to anyone greater than himself, right? He's the Lord. And so uh, here this angel lifts his hand up and uh, swears by the Lord who lives forever and ever, who did all this great creation work and above the earth and under the earth and down in the sea. And here's what the swear is. Here's what the promise is. There shall be delay no longer. That is a thrilling phrase. Maybe it's Jesus, or at least it's like his right-hand angel is swearing in might. We're going to wrap this thing up here. For 2,000 years, you've been praying the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Well, guess what? There will be no more delay. It's happening now. Such a thrilling and exciting thing. The, uh, the, the martyred saints from chapter 5 under the altar who are crying out, when will you take vengeance for us who've been martyred? And the Lord says, not yet, okay? Like, just rest. Vengeance will come. The kingdom will come. And, and here we have in this parenthesis kind of this overarching cycle that's happening that we're, it's being said, hey, there's not going to be delay any longer. We're not messing around here. There'll be delay no longer or imi chronos eti. 
delay no longer. Verse seven, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, now remember, uh, we're, we're at the end of the trumpet judgments. We looked at the trumpet judgments two weeks ago. Before that, we looked at the seal judgment. And we're not talking, ur, 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 you know, that rabid sea creature, you know, or whatever. Uh, it's a seal, like you seal an envelope. You probably, most people knew that, but I didn't when I found like, those seals can be bad, all right? Bite your leg when you're under the water. Okay, anyways, but, uh, but those seal judgments were first. There were seven of them. And the interesting thing was the seventh one led into the seven trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgment will lead into the seventh bowl judgment. And no, I'm not talking about, okay, just in case it's bowl, okay? See, it's so helpful when you know that, right? The bowl judgments, okay? So the last of each leads into the next, all right? And, uh, and so we just had wrapped up in our last revelation study that it was the days of the sounding of the seventh angel when he was about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. Verse six says, there will be delay no longer. The mystery will be finished. And he declared it to his servants, the prophets. So a mystery will be finished at the same time that there's no more delay. In the New Testament, a mystery is a truth that had once been concealed, but now in the New Testament is revealed. There's a lot of different mysteries in the scriptures. There's the mystery of predestination and God's sovereignty and election and words that we see in the word that we know to be true. And yet somehow in that great tension, there's also uh, just the the man's call and his enablement and, and then his ability to respond to that gospel. People would call it man's respond-sibility. How does that work when God is totally sovereign and yet man responds? And how is there's a mystery, there's tension in that. The end times is mystery. And the work of God towards the Gentile and towards the nation of Israel is a bit of a mystery. Romans and Ephesians speaks of that. But by this time, there will be mystery no longer. I loved, I used to love a, a show on the History Channel, History's Mysteries, you know. And uh, there'll be no more mysteries of histories there. Uh, no more mysteries in, in the things specifically concerning theology. And the voice which I heard from heaven, verse 8, spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So he's going to go and he's going to take the little book. Now maybe it was a big book, but it looked little. And, um, you know what I'm saying? And the angel was so big. Or maybe, you know, it's like a pocket Gideon New Testament. You know, it's like, thank you. Thank you for this. But go get it. And the voice, uh, and so I went to the angel and I said very politely, give me that little book. <laughs> okay. I and mean, you don't want to talk to the lion roaring angel. Just like, hey, give it. You know, I'm assuming that it was politely. Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. You know, when you're going to go and you're going to eat something new, a new treat, a new flavor, uh, and, and someone tells you, oh, it tastes like this, and then it, it has this aftertaste, you know, and, and the aftertaste, it's, it's going to be a bit bitter. 
And in this case, it's, it's going to be really sweet. And then it's going to be, bit, really, it's the first mention of Chinese food in scripture, sweet and sour, right? Oh, it's a fortune cookie, you know, um, with a little book. Oh, now it's all making, see, you just need my help to interpret the Bible, don't you? <laughs> Dustin, I'm kidding. It's not a fortune cookie. He's out. <laughs> to be honest with you, I saw it coming a mile away. Um, <laughs> all right, so... Uh, so he, he was warned. <laughs> it was sweet, and then it was going to be sour. And so I took the book, verse 10, out of the angel's hand, and I ate it. And it was as sweet or as fresh, the language is, as honey in my mouth. And so just picture that real quick. You know, just, ah, oh, sweet, sweet, fresh. But when I'd eaten it, you know, oh, oh, oh no, oh, oh no, 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 you know, uh, it made things. Okay, Lindsay's move on. Okay, bitter. All right, bitter. The original language says the book had written on it the letters T-A-T-U-M, Tatum. Tatum is my little girl. So sweet. So sweet. And yet, yes, her name is Tatum Cross. Oh, for the joy. Tata means joy and cheerfulness. And then cross. Excruciating. Yeah, that's her name, her literal name. And it's funny because she's our little, you know, sweet and sour girl, you know. And I was tucking her in. And she was so sweet one night. And I was tucking her in and just, I just like to do this. And, you know, I just like, honey, you, when you are sweet, you are so sweet. But Tatum... When you are sour, oh, little girl, you know, and uh, so I tease, of course, uh, we spent about 15 minutes on that story and we'll never get that back. I apologize. It truly made his stomach bitter as he ate it. He devoured it completely. And you know, when we know that kind of it's all pointing to the day of the Lord, that this book could be speaking of the book of Revelation, the angel's going to go on and speak of it as some sort of prophecy about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And that prophecy is going to go into chapter 11, verse 14. So it's at the very least the next part of the book of Revelation, okay? It's, it's what's going to be coming. And Some of that is so sweet and we read Revelation and we're so thrilled because we can't wait for the Lord to come. We can't wait for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. We just can't wait for that. We want to see Jesus. We want to see him in all his power and glory. And we want to see these angelic creatures and the might and all of that is so thrilling and sweet. And we can't wait to be with the Lord in glory and with the, the saints who've gone before us. And yet truly when we read the book of Revelation and we're going to be getting into what's called the great tribulation period, it's going to be great anguish upon the earth. Like the world's never seen. In fact, Jesus says when talking about it, unless I'd shorten those days, no one alive would live through it. 
That's how bad. We've never seen anything like it on the planet before. And when you know that, and when you really care about people and souls and their eternal destinies, this book should have that sourness to it. And that sourness or that bitterness should prompt us to evangelize our friends and family and our neighbors. It should just prompt us to want to be bold in proclaiming the gospel, the good news of salvation, that people would be spared of this bitter, bitter time. And and that's exactly what the angel goes on in verse 11 and says, is that he is going to have to go tell people this. You must prophesy again. There's this recommissioning in John's life, prophesying about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And uh, I got out my great colored pen collection and went through this text. And, and uh, man, whenever I get to things like the wrath of God or just, or, or just warnings, I underline with red. And when, whenever there's a word for me, for Rory, and it's blue. And when I, when I get to the God's grace and his gifts to us, I use pink. And when I get to texts about Jesus and his royalty, his royal, I do purple. And when I get to the word about God's heart for the nations, I use green. And whenever it's about the nations giving God glory, I use green. And it was so fun in Revelation this week to get to use green a little bit because we see God's heart from Genesis through Revelation is that the nations would know his saving ways, how he saves people, how much he loves people, the lengths that he's gone to to redeem them from sin and reconcile them to God. And so there's this prophecy that's going out to the, to the world, to peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. And it's helpful to know this is parentheses. This is a parentheses to John and his vision, that this is something that can even be done now because we've got the book in our hands. And it's, oh, God has a heart for peoples, for ethnes, for ethnic groups, people of all cultures, tongues, languages. And this is the first time we see this one word added to this national statement global statement, the word kings. We're we're familiar with the nations, tribes, and tongues passages. But here in Revelation, it's even for kings. Because kings are affected by the gospel. And when you go to preach the gospel to kings, all throughout Jesus' testimonies, and and then we see it lived out in the apostles' lives, when you bring the gospel before kings, kings, don't be afraid. Don't worry about what you'll say. And there's a bitterness about this word. Sweet to bring the word before kings. If I was to say, I get to go tell President Trump about Jesus, everyone would go, sweet, you know? But if you go and tell a king who has no interest in Jesus, it's like, sweet, you get that opportunity, but this is not gonna go like this. Like you could be persecuted for this. And I'm reading Adoniram Judson's biography right now. I've mentioned it a few weeks ago. And I'm at this point where he's been doing ministry in Burma for about six years. He went from the United States. He's the first United States missionary sent out of the U.S. He goes with a few people. He has just a horrific ship ride all the way. It takes forever and it's just long and it's horrible. And they get to India and they spend time in India trying to figure out how to get up into Burma and finally figure out, okay, we got to go up to Burma. Uh, That's where God's calling us. And they get on a ship and it is just like, we are all gonna die. Just a horrible ship ride. They finally make it up the Rangoon and get up into Burma and nobody knows how to speak English. And they basically have to start out 
bringing somebody in their home and they're like, and they're all phone, you know, or whatever, you know what I'm saying. So it's like, that's all I had to show. Okay. Okay. Oh, apple, you know, and they start with these words and apple, you know, and, and then just, I mean, imagine how just slow that would be. And after six years, they'd, they'd learn language and Adoniram had translated Matthew into Burmese and he translated a gospel track into Burmese but they began to get persecuted. No one's getting saved. Six years is going by. They're starting to get persecuted and they go up for months up a river to go speak to the emperor. And they get this chance to speak before the golden feet, it's called. And so, man, they, it's months of riding up a river to get there. And they had to figure out what they were gonna wear. They don't wear the attire of a, of a monk. They, man, what should we wear? Well, let's wear a white robe. It'll be kind of our own sort of priestly garment. So we're, they wear a white robe and you have to give a gift to the emperor. What do you give? And well, we, what are we going to give the emperor? It's like, well, why don't we give him the six volume set of the Bible? And well, uh, let's cover it in gold leaf, you know? And so they covered it in gold and, and they bring it to the emperor. And the chapter in Adoniram's biography goes, uh, the emperor and failure. So they go, they're standing before the emperor. He could just kill them if he wants. And it's just failure. He just disregards them. He rejects their off, the Bibles. It's just like, forget it. And no, you, you can still be persecuted for all I care. Basically, get out of here. And so there was this sweet moment to the missions movement to go speak before the king, the emperor of Burma. And then there's this bitterness. And they tried to appeal and appeal. And just he wants nothing to do. And I'm telling you, if you ask him one more time, he's probably going to kill you. And so that is oftentimes this prophetic word for nations and kings. It's a sweet word, but, but man, it has persecution with it and wrath goes with it. And so we're left there halfway through this, uh, halfway through this parenthetical passage. And um, because worship might've gone long, it's a little late. We're not going to get into chapter 11 today. I was all studied up for it. had some pictures and a video. It was going to be awesome. But no, you guys are hungry for Chinese food now, so you've got to get out of here. But if you'll set your things aside today, we want to remember the main idea. The main idea. We see the glory of the Lord in this chapter, whether it is the Lord or not. I mean, as I was first studying, and I was like, man, it's crazy. This is like the Lord here. And then, you know, I read a little. It's like, oh, maybe it's not the Lord. Maybe, you know, but whatever. It says it's an angel, so we'll just go with that maybe. But what we see is the glory of the Lord upon this one. He's mighty. He's majestic. He roars. He's speaking out uh, wrath and thunder. There's some sort of letter or book, scroll, And the things that are written in it are going to affect, they are going to be prophetic for uh, the the end of the world and and the kings and the nations. And you know, there's a song that's happening in the parentheses. There's a song that's happening, and we're gonna close with it today. If you jump over to chapter eleven, verse fifteen, it's gonna happen, uh, it's actually right after the parentheses. And it's where we sing, he shall reign today in our songs. The seventh angel is going to sound this last trumpet judgment. There's going to be loud 
voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. So this little book is given. Go prophesy concerning people and nations and tongues and kings. And what we read today was that, hey, the time has come. There's going to be delay no longer. The kingdom is coming during this part of Revelation. And it gets into it. And the song in heaven when this seventh trumpet judgment comes is that the kingdoms of the world, his kingdom has come. They have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of Jesus and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And so if you'll think, set your things aside and, and uh, just move to prayer with me and we'll have the worship team come on up. You know, the book of Revelation, it's a unique one. It is prophetic. It is futuristic. It's parenthetic for what that means to you guys, for what that's worth to you. But one thing's for sure, God's wrath burns hot in judgment against sin and God's grace burns hot in redeeming sinners. His mercy burns hot for people, for cultures, for family groups, for the different people represented in the languages that are in this world, for rulers. And kings. And we can bring application home to that today in Prineville 2019. For you who are in sin. For you who have not turned from your wickedness. From your rebellion against God. You need to know God's wrath burns hot against sin and against sinners. You need to know that there is a certain expectation of judgment, the New Testament tells us. You will be judged if you've not turned from your sin. Because if you've turned from your sin, You've recognized it. This and this and this and all of this stuff that I've been doing and I've been giving my heart to. All of this sin, all of this wickedness, all of this iniquity. And right now you know what that is in your life. All of it, I see it, God. And I know you see it. And I hear that there's great mercy for sinners. And where you're at, even at this, in this church here in Prineville, today you can hear that there's mercy for sinners. There's forgiveness to where your sin can be taken away from you. Your sin can be removed from you. And though your sins were as scarlet, 
Jesus will make you as white as snow. But what we've seen in Revelation is that those sins weren't just taken and swept under a rug and winked at. They weren't thrown into a pit somewhere and buried up. Those sins were put on Jesus. Jesus bore our sin on the cross. And right now, if you would just put your trust in Jesus, something incredible happens in the spiritual where God does the work of a banker and he transfers between accounts. He transfers sin from your account over into Jesus' account. And he transfers sinlessness from Jesus' account over to your account. So that even today in the great exchange, you can be seen as having never sinned before. Does that sound good to anybody here in this room before we close in a song? Does that sound good to anybody? You know today that is you. Perhaps you would even just be real and know, man, I was brought here today just for this.